Hey, welcome, welcome, welcome. I'd like to add my welcome to those that you've already received, whether you're online or in person with us. It's great to be together, um, you know, hearing and encouraging each other as well. As you've already heard, we're starting our brand new series tonight called Hope, Hope From. And what does that mean? I mean, so we're looking at, we're looking at the, this word hope from a different perspective over the next three weeks. Uh, over the next three weeks. Next week, you will hear from Winnie, who is going to be looking at hope from a song. And in uh, week three, we're going to hear from Sandy, who will be talking about hope from, the, from a start. Tonight, I'm going to be talking about hope from a stable. Before I get into it, I just want to set us up or ask a question tonight. What does hope mean to you? A lot of people say it. We mention it. Um, you know, you hear it on social media everywhere. Hope, hope, hope. What does it actually mean? Our church is called Door of Hope. What does hope mean for you? I'd like to leave you with that thought for a moment there are a couple of ways I'm going, to look at, I'm going to tackle this tonight, and that's the first one. I'm going to look at hope from a humble beginning, and then I'm going to look at hope from the Old Testament, and then I'm going to finally wrap it up with the main story from the book of Luke, which is hope through the stable in Jesus. I don't know about you guys. I like to read boring stuff sometimes. I like to read. I'm the sort of guy who will go to sleep reading legislation that the government wants to put out or read constitutions and that sort of stuff. I like listening to politics, boring podcasts, or all of that sort of stuff. And also, I like to read about how people start, you know, successful people. I like to read about companies, how they get started. Three of those companies I want to look at tonight uh, we all would know them. They're very big. Uh, you know, you can't miss them. Uh, they're, they're incorporated in all our lives and what we do. One of them I want to start off with tonight is Facebook. So for those of you who don't know, or you may, not, may or may not know, Facebook was started by Mark Zuckerberg in his bedroom at Harvard University. Now, when Mark Zuckerberg got to Harvard University, there was already Facebook. But Facebook was only reserved for the faculty staff so that they know what's, which students were in school. And so Mark goes, oh, well, this can't stay here. We need to broaden it so that everyone in school knows who is at school so that we can make friendships. And so Mark Zuckerberg took Facebook then and um, developed it, and it grew to the university in Harvard. After two years, Mark Zuckerberg dropped out of university and developed Facebook. From there, it grew into, you know, grew beyond the university at Harvard, and then they um, spread it out to the rest of the major universities in Northern America. And that grew as well, and then later on, you know, rest of the world as we know it. Today, Facebook is worth $128 billion. Not bad for a little school project. The next one I want to look at is Microsoft. Now, Microsoft was started by Bill Gates and Paul Allen in a little garage in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Again, like most of the things that we, we use today with a, with a computer, like Microsoft Office and all of that, started in that little garage in 
New Mexico, in New Mexico, in Albuquerque. And today, Microsoft is worth $1 trillion. The next one, most of you, most of you uh, would know about, well, nearly all of us would know, is Disney. Yeah! <laughs> Disney was started by Walt Disney with his brother in their, um, let me get that right, in their um, uncle's garage, in their, small, in their small garage, only 45 minute drive from where Disney Parkland is currently located. The next one now, most of you will get excited about it. I know Ben definitely will get excited. It's Apple. Now, I'm not an Apple man. I don't, I don't own anything. Well, I have an iPad, but that's a work one. I've never actually purchased any Apple product myself. I'm more of an Android man, but that's neither here or there. Let's not get into that. <laughs> Apple was started by Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, in his, in his um, Steve's um, parents' garage. And in 1976, Steve and his friend built the first, Apple, the first Apple computer. And today, we all enjoy the benefit of that. The last one, the last company I want to look at is Google, another school project. Google was started by Larry, pa by, um, Larry Page and Sergey in their friend's Susan's garage. Also, that was also another school project that is started so that it could, that will help them study. So you, when you look at this, what a humble beginning all of these were. It was, it was an excitement in them. That's what, that's what this was. Now, I want to go, I want to leave that a little bit and now go to hope as well from the Old Testament perspective. In the book of Genesis chapter 12, we will find a story of Abraham and Sarah. After God has said to Abraham, I want you to pack up your things and go to a land that I will show you, Abraham obeyed, and by faith, he went where God was asking him to go. When he got to the land there, God said, okay, this is where I want you to settle down. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your descendant as numerous as the stars in the sky and as plentiful as the sand of the sea. God planted that anticipation, that hope in Sarah and Abraham. But that fulfillment will not happen till 25 years later. We read in the book of Genesis chapter 17, I'll encourage you to read it, that when Abraham was 99 years of age and Sarah was 90. God opened up Sarah's womb and she had her first child. At 99 and 90 years of age, Isaac arrived. And, if, and from there, we, if you, when you keep reading, that Isaac later on went and, ha, and had his two of his own sons, which are um, Jacob and Esau. And from there, we'll see, that's where, from Jacob's line, we have the people of Israel, the, the 12 tribe of Judah. So there we go, that little hope that, that God planted in Abraham and Sarah, how over time, it didn't just happen over, over, you know, overnight, over time, that flourish. The next character I want to look at is Moses. Now, Moses was born at a time in Egypt where Pharaoh was getting a little bit paranoid. He, he was the Israelite. God had, were blessing the Israelites, and they were having lots and lots of children. 
And Pharaoh was scared that, or he was, his paranoia caused him to think that if they keep having children like this, one day they're going to rebel against him and, t- and overthrow. And so Pharaoh said, any child that is born from now should be killed to the Israelites. But Moses' mom could not bring herself to do that. So what did she do? In the book of Exodus chapter 2, I encourage you to read these stories as well. Um, Moses' mom created a basket and put him in and put him at the mouth of the river. And who happened to be walking past, going to have a, a bath in the river, was Pharaoh's own daughter. So Moses had compassion on Moses and took Moses home to, raise, to be raised as a prince in Pharaoh's household. A few years, fast forward, give or, four, give or so years, um, Pharaoh is now growing. He was out taking his princely walk, and he came across two Israelites having a fight. He tried to break the fight up, and one of, and one of the Israelites died. Moses fled Egypt. He was in the fields tending to his father, father-in-law's flock when God finally encountered him and said that, I want you, want you to lead my people out of, out of Egypt. For many years before that, God has been speaking to the people of Israel, said, I will save you, I will take you out of this place, I will take you. But for a very long time, they were sitting in anticipation, in hope, in excitement some days, or sometimes that hope was fading away. The last one, the last person I want to look at is David, King David in the Bible. Now, David is, was the last-born son of Jesse. Jesse had eight sons. And when, the pro, when one of the prophets came to, um, to, the chief priest came to anoint, um, God has said to him, I want you to go to Jesse's house and anoint the next ruler. Jesse brought out all his kids, all his sons, the warriors, the strong ones, and he says, there, there they are. And he asked, he goes, no, there's one more. He goes, who, David? Nah, he's, you know, he's just in the field. And he said, no, I want you to bring him. And he was anointed. Later on, when he took food to his brothers while they were fighting a war, we all, if you don't know the story, I encourage you to read it in the book of Samuel. And he was, they were all there just scared. And David, this scrawny little boy, he was the only one who had enough courage to stand up to the giant Goliath. And what did he do? With, with his stone and his sling, he defeated the giant. Not bad. From someone who, you know, his own family didn't think that he had nothing to offer. You see, God is not interested in appearance. God is interested in our hearts. Now, you might be wondering, why the Old Testament lesson tonight? If there was ever a time that God should, should show his splendor, his majesty of who he is. I'm the creator. It's around the time of his, the birth of his son, Jesus Christ. But it wasn't so. Jesus' birth was secluded, quiet, at least from an earthly perspective. Again, I just want to say this should reinforce the truth to us that appearances are very deceiving. What seems to everyone around Mary and Joseph is that It was just another ordinary couple expecting an ordinary baby who lived in an ordinary little town. 
But what seemed ordinary to human perspective is actually very extraordinary. Appearances are deceiving. Now, it seems that when you compare the, 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 the birth of Jesus Christ to the way we celebrate Christmas, the two cannot go together. It was a quiet event. Later on, we will know that the angels came out and, and, and everyone came and worshipped, but the event leading up to that was quiet. And for us these days, right now, I know a lot of people have put their Christmas tree up, just stressing on Christmas list and the gift and the wrapping paper and all of that. That is not what Christmas is about. That is not what Christmas is about. Christmas is about a story, it's about a hope, it's about an, expe- an, an excitement, it's about an expectation, a hope that people were waiting for. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what the stable was all about. My challenge for us this year is to remember what we are doing when we celebrate Christmas. We are celebrating the King of Kings. In Romans 6.23, it says that for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift, we have been given a gift. It's free. We, have, we, do, we just have to receive it. And if you're here tonight or watching online and you, don't, you still don't understand what that is, please reach out. We're happy to sit down with you and explain what that free gift is. The free gift of Christ is, is eternal life. God himself has given his people a free gift through his son. And this is the real meaning behind Christmas. Now let's go to the main text tonight, which is from Luke 2, 1 to 7. It says, In those days, a decree went from Caesar Augustus that all the world under him that he ruled should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius, yes, got it, when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And when all and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed. Keep that word, betrothed, in mind, because it will become important in, in a minute. Who was with child? And while they were there, the time came for, for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in a swaddling cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. If you're taking notes tonight, my first point is God can use any circumstance to accomplish his plan to bring hope. In Luke, 1, in Luke 2, 1 to 3, it says, In those days a decree came from Caesar Augustus. That all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered to his own town. It it was a well-known fact that in Jewish tradition, that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. The problem is, Mary and Joseph did not live in Bethlehem. They lived in Nazareth, they lived in Nazareth in in Galilee. I'm sure that Mary, being a good Bible student, would have known this. She probably studied the event surrounding the birth of the Messiah, especially given her immediate circumstance. She may have wondered, how is God going to pull this off? And then one day, 
who should walk in was Joseph. Joseph walked in at the front door and got, hey, Mary, um, have you heard of this new census that is coming out? Apparently, we all need to go back to our hometown and register for some tax. And it clicked to Mary. Oh, that's what he's, that's what he's up to. So how is God going to get the family to Bethlehem at the, just the right time for Mary to, give, to Mary to give birth to Jesus while they're still fulfilling Old Testament prophecy? You see, for many of us, it's a new concept to think that God uses unsafe people, people who, don't, who aren't Christians yet, to accomplish things. Now, I'm not saying that God manipulates people. Please do not take that from the message tonight. God does not manipulate people, but God uses, th- uses events and things to prepare us for what is coming next. It's not manipulation. All the things I have, all the things I have done in life has led me right here, if to, to stand in here. So God is not in the business of manipulating. God is in the business of restoration. Point two is God uses individuals to bring hope. Luke 2, Luke 2, 4 to 5, it says, And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to, Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with, with a child. Joseph and Mary are both descendants of King David. Both go to their homeland in Bethlehem. And by this time, most theologians believe that Mary and Joseph have been married and are now husband and wife. That's why I said that word betrothed was important. Back in the olden days, that's the word they used. I don't, I'm not sure why. But anyway, um, uh, where, where are we? Yeah, so Luke uses the term betrothed to indicate that they had, not, they, they had not yet had intimate relationship and wouldn't until Jesus was born. Some believe Mary could have remained at home, could have remained at home um, while Joseph registered for her. However, I believe that it was the prophecy in Micah 5.2, coupled with a census that, that led Mary to make the 144-kilometer journey. The, New Te- the great New Testament commentator Leon, Mo- um, Leon Morris makes this remark. We should perhaps reflect that it was the combination of a decree by the emperor, emperor in the distant Rome and the gossiping tongues of Nazareth that brought Mary to Bethlehem just at the right time to fulfill the Old Testament prophecy about the birthplace of Christ. It is important for us to understand that God's power over events is big enough to affect nations and even the world and also powerful enough to affect individuals as well. Mary and Joseph went up to Bethlehem because there was a census. But indirectly, they went up to Bethlehem because that's where the king was was prophesied to be born. In the book of Micah 5, here's the prophecy which says, But you, O Bethlehem, who are little to be among the, among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me the one who is ruler in Israel, whose origin is of old from the ancient days. This passage is not referring to King David. No, he's refer- because King David was already dead by then. He's re- referring to a future king, which is Jesus. Point three, 
And before I make it, I want to say this. Christianity is not complicated. We do not have to make Christianity complicated. It is simple. Just like how Luke, Luke's simplicity, which is point three, it says, Luke 2, 6 to 7. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in a swaddling cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, you think that Facebook, Microsoft, and all of that had a great, you know, had a good story. But here's the story of the greatest startup, the biggest company in the, in the history of the world about to take place, right? And all we got from Luke was a couple of sentences that says, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in a swaddling cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place Really? That's all we got? I mean, spice it up a bit, you know? I don't know. You know, you can put a couple of things in there. I don't know about you, but when, who remember Prince, Prince George? You know, that, you know, who knows Prince George? No, you don't know? I'll tell you who Prince George is. Prince George is the son of um, Prince William and Kate Middleton, Duchess of Cambridge, who is the future king of Great Britain, who is the grandson of, great-grandson of the Queen of England. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Now, when, he was, when his time of birth came, the whole ward was empty. There was security at every point so that if you don't have certain royal pass, you will not go in there. If that was what happened for, for Prince George. Now, here, here, is, here it is here, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who is a lot more than Prince George. And we, all we got from Luke was... The time came and she gave birth and wrapped him and put him in there. Jesus took a lonely place. And I'm going to walk over here. I didn't plan this, by the way. It works back here because it's quite dark. But just imagine this is where Jesus was. He was in a stable, surrounded by filth. Surrounded by animals, by dirt. It was cold, dark. Jesus was born and was laid in a manger. Now, why would Jesus do that? Now, why would God do that? Why would God intend the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Why would Jesus, why would God allow such event to happen? It's so that Jesus became, became less so that we become greater. Jesus became poor so that we become rich. Jesus took no room so that there was room for us in heaven. Jesus, the door wasn't open to him so that the door could be open to us in heaven. That's why Jesus was born in a cold, dark, filthy place. So whilst we get amazed by Amazon and Facebook and the startup, the greatest startup of all time over two th that has lasted over 2,000 years and is still affecting people in every nation, in every tribe, in their language, that's the reason why I can stand here even though... Even though I was born so many, so, many, so many kilometers away, I can stand here and deliver a message. It's because of Jesus. Because the message that he brought 
passes through boundaries, passes through all cultures to bring hope and transformation and door of hope. And whoever is listening, that is the message of Christmas. And that is the message from the stable. So I want to encourage you, as I invite the band up to join me now, I want to encourage you, this Christmas, who are you going to invite into the message that Jesus has brought, the message of hope? Who is waiting in expectation? Who is waiting in anticipation for this message to be brought to them? Are you going to look past the the cover? Are you going to look past the, the facade so that you can bring this message of hope? This message that was brought to us in a cold, dark, filthy place. Jesus is not interested in people's status. He's interested in bringing hope and transformation. And this Christmas, let that be the focus. Let that be the focus. I'm not saying we should not celebrate Christmas. We should. There's absolutely every reason to celebrate Christmas because that's the birth and the birth and the transformation that God wants us to celebrate. But let, let the, 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 the festivities, the food and the wrapping and the lights take center stage other than the message of Jesus. The message from the stable. That's what it's all about. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for, for the message that you brought to us over 2,000 years ago in that cold, dark, filthy place. Lord, thank you that you became less so that we become greater. Thank you that you left it all behind, the splendor and the glory of heaven, and come down and took a place so that we can be accepted back to Christ. And Lord, for those who who are yet to know you, I pray that, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you will start reaching in. And Lord, would you start doing what you do best? Because no amount of speaking, no amount of... Words can bring about transformation, but only through the power of your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, right now, I pray that our focus for this Christmas will not be about the festivities, the lights and all that, but the focus will be you and what it meant and why you came to this earth. In Jesus' name.